1: Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I am your host for today. We've got a fun show planned for you guys, uh, talking about ESPN's positional rankings. Uh, I have to clarify before we started that it's not actually their rankings. Jeremy Fowler surveys people around the league, uh, and so blame AFC and NFC executives, scouts, players, all that good stuff. Uh, But we'll dive into some of that, and then we're going to do a pre-training camp stock up, stock down, excuse me. Uh, we are just a few weeks away, so lots of uh, pre-training camp stuff to talk about. I'm really excited to do, uh, discuss that today with my guys, Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing tonight? Doing good. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, <laughs> Tyler, what's up, man? How you doing? And uh, hope your fiance is doing well from her uh, recovery and uh, everything else going on there.
2: Yes, I'm doing very well. Both of my knees are functioning and working very well. She's currently on 1.05 good knees, but we are getting there. She started physical therapy today. That ACL is going to come back. No problem. Uh,
1: Hope it works out. Yeah, she'll be surfing again in no time. So um, like I mentioned, we're going to have uh, some good conversations today uh, talking about the ESPN list, talking about some pre-training camp stuff. Um, and we'll dive right in into the specific ESPN rankings. So um, as of now, the uh, every single position has been released except for offensive tackle. Uh, of course, Joey Bosa kicked it off for the Chargers and was uh, the fourth highest rated uh, edge rusher, if you will. Which I need mainstream media to just adapt that mantra, that specific tag. Uh, mm-hmm. I on an NFL network graphic that had Khalil Mack as a linebacker and Randy Gregory as a defensive end, and they're the same <laughs> position in yeah. the same scheme. So uh, I, I need edge rusher as the official tag. Um, JC Jackson was the fifth highest ranked corner. Derwin James, the fourth highest ranked safety. Uh, Justin Herbert was the seventh highest quarterback. Austin Eckler was an honorable mention, uh, which is my name today. Austin Eckler snub. And then uh, both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams mentioned today as uh, honorable mentions as well. Keenan Allen was the first honorable mention. Mike Williams was the last honorable mention. So he was 17th technically. Um, I guess I haven't done tight ends, but I don't expect Gerald Everett to be in there either. Um, we'll see where Rashawn Slater ends up. So Tyler, will start with you. Uh, as it relates to the Chargers, Where? what's your first takeaway from where they ended up at in these uh, Jeremy Fowler annual survey rankings, if you will.
2: I I guess overall, it's great to see that this team is so talented and so respected. Like you didn't have to include some of these guys on there. Sure. What I want Corey Lindsley higher. Sure. What I want Derwin James higher. Yeah. But you know, a lot of really good talent, some new talent. Uh, I'm surprised. I can't believe I forgot about
1: Smith. Lindsay. I'm sorry I, to interrupt you. But <laughs> I, I got you. Don't Lindsay. worry. Thank you. Um,
2: <laughs> I did draft him in our draft. So maybe like he's part of my team. Um, I'm surpri- <laughs> I'm, I guess I don't know where Mac would have been, but I guess I am still a little surprised that he is ninth. He does hold that much weight after really not being much of himself last year because he just couldn't be on the field, but still great to see. Uh The wide receivers. I think a lot of people talk about Herbert, you know, where he could be, whatever. I think the wide receiver one is both interesting but not surprising. It's interesting to see that you know both these guys were mentioned. I think we all generally view these guys right about. You know, I think you had him ninth, Keenan Allen ninth in your top ten. I would have had him in like that eight to ten range. Uh, Alex had him outside the top ten, but very close. Um. So, but it's it's still good to see them there. The the biggest one that I hate the most, really is Austin Eckler's. And I don't understand why someone like Javante Williams or Najee Harris would be over him at this point. I think if you go to next year, then maybe you could have those guys over Austin Eckler. But Eckler, we haven't done the running back rankings that we were kind of leading into that. Maybe maybe we'll never get to it. But just, whereas like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, let's just talk about Keenan Allen. Like on film, I think he's a top 10 wide receiver. But I can't say the same thing for him statistically sure. austin Eckler, i on film hello looks fantastic runner receiver whatever third down player you name it but the stats also point to a guy who's fantastic i mean sixth most scrimmage yards in the league last year 20 touchdowns and that's good enough for an honorable mention behind naji at his what 3.6 yards per carry or whatever it was um, that was the only real big like surprise snub for me um, that didn't get into the top ten. Otherwise, I'm just happy to see that there's so many talented players that are you know respected around the league
3: on this team this year. Yeah, um, the Austin Eckler one is weird because it it almost feels like they processed it as who are the best runners list as opposed to running backs, right? Having yeah. um, Javante as high as they did, uh, Najee as high as they did. So, but it's also like the guy was, you know, free catching the ball, had 20 touchdowns, (laughs) like how do you leave him out of the top 10? I do think that's the most egregious snub, but that also corresponds with a little bit what we saw with the Pro Bowl voting, right? Eckler somehow not making the Pro Bowl in the AFC uh, alone, and that was a weird thing, but I guess that kind of is, you know, backs up the, you know, what the perception around the league of him is, uh, which is like, you're kind of the, you know, he was the first honorable mention, right? Um yeah. So I, they kind of view him as like the 11th best running back, but it's like Saquon and Zeke were in the, the honorable mention category right. as well, and I think Austin Eckler's production far outpaces what any of them have done in recent years. So uh, I, I thought he was a pretty egregious snub. Should have been somewhere definitely in the 6 to 10 range. The... Interesting thing on these lists was like, which lists are more a factor of like recency bias versus which ones just kind of stick to like the old tactics. Cause it's kind of a combination right. of both. Right. Mm-hmm. You sort of see someone like Jamar chase um, get number three on the wide receiver lists, but, and, but you know, they also kind of give credence to like, okay, Deandre Hopkins didn't have the best year last year was hurt, but we're still going to put him at seven or eight because of what he's done before. Same with, Ah, uh, Khalil Mack, even on the edge list, uh, even though he didn't play last year, still having him as uh, the ninth best major rusher in the league, uh, even though he didn't finish the season. So, um, a weird combination of things, <laughs> and I like I just don't get the perception of like playoff games and and looking at a limited sample size for the quarterbacks. I know yeah. that that is like what they do, and I'm I'm not terribly surprised by it. But I'm also just like the, the best thing, it would have been fine if they ranked Joe Burrow at like number five. And the explanation for it was, oh, you know, he just had a really efficient year and we decided to put him there. But like their explanation for it was he took a lot of sacks in the Titans game. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. we just saw him really gritted out here. I'm like, yeah, what are he you was doing? so tough. Like, was this article just written by like, was this survey done by like 70 David Gettleman's and we just like put all these football guys in a room? Like, I, I don't know. I, I personally would have put Herbert higher, um, uh, but yeah. I just don't understand the fixation of quarterbacks and and playoffs uh, resume when they don't really particularly value that for any other position, even though obviously yeah. having a high profile edge rusher, having a high profile receiver makes you a contender as well. Um, so I think they do overvalue it for, for quarterback on these lists, but in general, I didn't have a huge problem with any of the lists. I thought Eckler was certainly snubbed. Um, yeah. and yeah, I think Herbert should have been higher. Derwin could be argued that he should be higher than four, but I think they almost view that as like a health thing, uh, and how much you can rely on that. So I kind of understood why he was at four. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see the offensive tackle rankings to see exactly where they put Mm. Rashawn Slater Um, because, you know, Steven has been banging the drum of top three tackle all off season. I think it'll be a little bit lower than three, but I'd like to see him certainly in that six to 10 range uh, and and be there as well. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see how they do that as well as the tight ends.
1: Yeah. To be clear, it's been the top three left tackle specifically. Yeah, If you include Tristan worse and Ryan Ramchek, I think, You can put Sean Slater a little bit lower, and I'm okay okay with that one. Um, Yeah, getting back to the Austin Eckler thing first and foremost, it's a weird list to me, like specifically the running backs. I I definitely got the vibe that it was like, okay, here's the best runners. Like these are the best pure runners in the league. But then it was like Christian McCaffrey was listed, and everything they talked about was his ability as a pass catcher. And same thing with Alvin Kamara. And then with Austin Eckler, it's like he has a feel for the passing game. It's like, the hell are we watching here? Austin Eckler has the most catches yards and touchdowns as a receiver among every running back in the league over the last three years. And that Mm. includes missing nine games last year with a torn hamstring or 2020, I should say. So Mm -hmm. um, it it just didn't make any sense to me. I I agree that Austin Eckler is not like a top 10 runner. Like I think there are other running backs that, you know, are, are better pure carriers of the football, right? Like I think, you could talk about, you know, Josh Jacobs being like a better pure runner than him. And I think that's a fine conversation to have. Elijah Mitchell had, you know, 1,200 yards for the Niners last year. I think that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. But we're at, at a point in the sport where if you can't catch the ball as a running back, you have zero value. And so like these same executives tell us financially that if you're just a runner, you don't have as much value as somebody mm. who can also catch yeah, the ball. Point. But then in the rankings, they're like, oh, well, the guy who is a pass catcher, who's really good at it, we're going to put him in the honorable mention category. So I don't know that that was really frustrating for me to see that happen. And and specifically after last year, like it was if it was 2020 and they had listened to honorable mention, I I don't think I would have had as much of an issue. But among all running backs, he was third in scrimmage yards and he was tied for first in touchdowns with Jonathan Taylor, who people try to get give MVP votes to last year. Right. So uh, that one was frustrating to me. That was that was the biggest frustration of of the list, for, at least for the Chargers and, and their perspective. But again, if Rashawn Slater is is outside of the top eight tomorrow, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> that will be the biggest one that I will be most upset about.
3: Yeah, I thought that just having. McCaffrey at seven was a weird one because it's kind of like you want to give him, you know, credence for what he's done in his career, but he's also played mm-hmm. 10 out of his last 33 possible games yeah. and has had, <laughs> you know, declining production across the board. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, on one hand you want to blame that on the Caroline offense because <laughs> it's Carolina offense. But <laughs> I, I feel like you just kind of, that's the spot I would have put Eckler in. I would have put Eckler at like the number seven spot could have put yeah. him eight, nine or 10 for me. Um, but leaving him off the list entirely was uh, just a bit too much for me. You really think Everett doesn't make the top ten? Not that I would be surprised.
2: But like, okay, who, who are the ten? I don't think
1: he makes. I don't think he makes the top ten, man. I think. Uh, let me pull up these. Well, I, I got to look at the
2: numbers for this one. We're,
3: so we're taking Gronk out of the top ten because he's retired.
1: That's uh-huh. true.
3: So that opens it's, up a spot. It's
2: Definitely Kittle, Waller, Kelsey, Pitts is
1: definitely going to make it. Andrews will make it. Andrews Dalton will make, Schultz it. will make it. Dallas Goddard, Goddard. will make it. Goddard. Mike Isiki will make it. Was that Ertz. eight already? Ertz That's eight.
3: Probably on the back end. I could it see it. That wouldn't surprise
1: yeah. me. Um, I would imagine there's a lot of Dawson Knox fans after he had you know 600 yards and 10 touchdowns last year. Maybe Hunter Henry sneaks in there, 600 yards, nine touchdowns last year. Yeah, I could um, see that. TJ Hawkinson has a lot of fans, although he was injured a lot last yeah. year. I think so, Everett's
3: ceiling is probably like honorable mention between. Yeah. Zama. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't run yeah. there.
1: Yeah. No, that makes sense. And more tight ends than I thought. Yeah. yeah. The position's getting better, which is, is good to see mm-hmm. for uh, a fan of the position and also just like a guy who plays fantasy football. Like, it's great to see not just like two good tight ends and then everybody else is trash. So yeah. mm-hmm. Zach had 784 yards last year, which is little bit surprising
3: yeah i wow. i think just the i feel like these rankings do reveal how deep these positions are around the league because running back it's like you're, you're really like looking for names and, and like steven said when we were talking about this in the chat earlier it also tells you that like running backs are kind of expendable now right but yeah a lot of teams run running back by committee and just have like two or three guys that they use at a time um and so that's why each running back is a little bit less important. Except yeah. For like Derek Henry and Tennessee, see obviously. Um, so that I didn't mind as much in terms of like, you know, their explanations for those. And also just the running back quality around the league right now, isn't great. And you're relying on a lot of like, you know, kind of players with old seasons in the past, like Saquon, like Zeke. Um, but yeah, wide receiver is super deep around the league. And I didn't take any weight, anything away from them from not putting Keenan Allen in that top 10, because uh, it's just and they didn't even put you know terry or cd or uh some of the guys we talked about on yeah. our top 10 list uh in Dude, there there was honorable mentions uh so you know aj brown as well so for those guys to not make the top 10 list but then you get this total youth infusion all across the list it's just like that's the deepest position in the league by far
1: yeah i mean we we had very different lists for the wide receiver rankings and, and i'm fine with keenan allen being 11th like i think that's totally fair if he's in you know the 8 to 12 range for people I think that's fair and obviously you know the statistical limitations would have him you know be in that same kind of category like we're talking about you know other players who are you know constantly getting you know 1300 yards 11 12 touchdowns versus Keenan who's getting you know just over a thousand and right at six touchdowns so obviously we've all been wanting more statistics from him but yeah, i I have no issues with that. I was pretty surprised, honestly, that Mike Williams got got honorable mention um mm-hmm. because of all those guys that Alex is mentioning that you know, all the these young guys that have really come in. Uh so that that was good to see, right? Like I think Mike Williams getting that kind of respect is uh is good to see around the league. Yep, absolutely. Um <laughs> So SoCal Slime with a super chat feature, uh, super chat question. How will Steven react if they have Colton Miller over Rashawn Slater in the offensive tackle rankings? I'm going to be livid. Like, like I will be so mad. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, I just watched the first Raiders game and obviously we've watched Colton Miller a lot. And I think Colton Miller is a, a very good offensive tackle. Like, I, I mm-hmm. do think he is very good. But I, I, there's no question to me that Rashawn Slater is already a better player than Colton Miller as a rookie. He was second team all pro. Um, you know, which is crazy if you look at the history of playing left tackle in this league. I mean, like, look at all of the recent draftees who have been, you know, starting left tackles as rookies, and they all were like bottom of the league and pressures allowed, bottom of the league and pass blocking efficiency. And Rashawn Slater comes in right away and is it, that dude. Mm-hmm. So, and according to Duke Mannyweather, is the most improved tackle in the league. So, you know, if he's if Rashawn Slater is outside of the top eight, I am going to be pissed tomorrow, or is that? thursday i guess or friday i don't know whenever those
2: specified yeah i mean the the numbers aren't like super dissimilar um but no i i just think that miller i would think would get knocked just for being on the raiders line which wasn't that great not that that's his fault but voting just kind of voting just kind of goes that way you know and slater was on a much improved line he was second team all pro i think he'll be over miller
3: but
1: you know, you I wouldn't know. be.
2: Su- I wouldn't be
3: surprised. Colton Miller made the playoffs and Rashawn Slater didn't, and that seems to be what <laughs> all, the only thing that, that matters so on true. these lists.
1: So that is so true. I, you know, I was talking. Uh, I on every single Wednesday morning, I do an appearance on the local ESPN radio channel here, and we were talking about the quarterback ranking specifically and how it's like instead of like wins and like postseason appearances being like the tiebreaker. It's like the consensus is like, this is what we're going to start our argument with. And so it's like, by default, you have to put Stafford over Herbert because he won the Super Bowl and Burrow over Herbert because he went to the Super Bowl. And it's like, if you if you really feel like those three players are on an equal footing and that's your tiebreaker, like, I hate that. But I would understand that more than just it being like the very start of your argument which is what it seems to be like. And, you know, I thought that was just a casual fan thing. Apparently that's an NFL executive thing as well. So it's just a little frustrating for somebody like Justin Herbert.
3: And and we've heard like NFL executives call Burrow the next Brady, you you know, plenty of times before. (laughs) So I'm like not surprised that he's football guy in that way. But it does make me cringe. It's like we have 17 games of sample size that you guys could watch. You clearly didn't. I don't think any of them watched a single snap of another quarterback that wasn't on their team um but uh you know you have all this sample and data you could use and you choose the three or four game sample size over the 17 game one which just makes me cringe but that is what it is
2: yeah then they choose the sample size and i'm sorry to be bringing up burrow because i feel like we do that a lot but like that's the it's a big one like yeah he won the games but look at the numbers in the games you can't throw two touchdowns in three games and say you led your team to the like that just come on man like like overcoming a yeah. defense is like Herbert versus the bucks or something in yeah. 2020 where like he legitimately he scored like four touchdowns three touchdowns and overcame and fought back versus a very good defense scoring one touchdown you know per game is not overcoming a defense that's surviving and that doesn't really yeah. put somebody in the you know over another person I don't think.
3: And, and it's also kind of like Steven said, you almost want to use playoffs as like a tiebreaker, right? Like if you have mm-hmm. these guys really close together, or even if you're looking at someone like Josh Allen, who slid towards the back half of last season and then goes supernova in those two playoff games and has nine touchdowns and zero interceptions, like, you know, that was like, okay, well, my bias has said he slid a little bit in the rankings, but now he's clearly back up because he had those two sure. playoff games, right? I, I think we could talk about that, but just having... It's just very clear that if they did this survey after the regular season versus after the postseason, the results would just be completely different. And for that to be the case is just, you know, it makes almost a 17 game sample size, you know, useless.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, the whole Deshaun Watson thing It's like, why? If you just take like like him, his legal situation aside, he didn't play a single game last year. (laughs) And in 2020, his team won four games. Like, you know, he, these executives are all talking about win-loss record mattering so much. It's like we've seen him win four games in the last two years. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here?
3: The the win-loss uh, also doesn't matter. It is Lamar Jackson, and you've won yeah. the third most mm-hmm. games uh, uh, in the last uh, four years aside from Brady and Mahomes. So it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. I mean, Lamar Jackson literally broke a record for most wins in your first three seasons. And that includes him not starting for the first half of his rookie season. So that's always fun. All right, Tyler, uh, any final thoughts as it pertains to the ESPN rankings?
2: Uh, No final thoughts. Just hope the entire team uh, gets in there next year. And in particular, I'm really hoping there's some honorable mention, at least for linebacker or defensive tackle. (laughs) Because it's a bit rough to be scrolling through there and seeing that two first-round picks were not on that list.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Alex, any final thoughts on the ESPN list?
3: Nope.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: sounds good before we move on want to give a quick shout out to uh brent kincaid uh Mm -hmm. for the super chat sticker apparently he's from the central valley i live in the central valley as well so always good to see that um and then there was another one earlier one here from fat man versus trail (laughs) uh fat man versus trail that sounds like every uh december when i go to big bear (laughs) that sounds like an early 2000s like Ska band name or whatever it's called. <laughs> Fan members uh, trail sounds like me last fall. <laughs> it's true. You have a lot of, lost a lot of weight, so props to you for that. I thought I saw another one. Oh, it was the same guy. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, he wants to know really quickly. Who has a bigger season for the Chargers this year, Van Noy or Sebastian Joseph Day? Uh, I think for me that would be Sebastian Joseph Day. I think he is the DT one on the team, if you will. He's the leader of that group. He. Is going to play the most snaps in that group. So I'm really excited to see him take that leap forward and not just be looked at as, as a run defender, because I think he is underrated as a pass rusher. So uh, I'll take Sebastian Joseph Day there for sure.
2: Yeah, I agree there. Unless years. you're looking at production, like, sure, I'm, I'm sure Van Nooy can put up some production. But as a bigger season and importance, yeah, easily Sebastian Joseph Day. Yep. Hello, Dad. A... Thank you for the super sticker.
1: Amazing. Thank you. There we go. So Shoon family, always well, well represented in our show. So uh, we're going to move on now and talk about our pre-training camp stock up, stock down. Uh, of course, we have to start with the uh, bit of information I got about Trape Hipkins earlier today. So uh, I reached out to somebody who attended the Offensive line masterminds that happened in Dallas this past weekend, uh, he was in attendance. He's has a bit of a working relationship with Duke Mannyweather as well. Uh, don't want to give too much away, um, but here's basically what I uh, have to say about him and some specific quotes about him. So, um, one of his thoughts there, and he said, "Trey," he said, "quote Trey has had a fantastic offseason. He's been working really hard with Duke." And they've made, made some great progress with his strength and technique. He looks better than ever. And he's been a constant sponge with the trainers and the vets, which you always like to see, end quote. So the being the sponge part is, is not new information, right? Like Daniel Popper did a great profile on Trey Pipkins recently. Um, and in the article, Trey mentioned that, you know, he's had a great time working alongside Teron Armstead and those guys and just being able to, uh, you know, pick their brains a little bit. Um, So I wanted to follow up with uh, specifically what's kind of been the focus for Duke and Trey. And he said, quote, hand placement is always the focus with Duke. He tries to figure out what works best for each player and then amplify those strengths. Trey has had a lot of struggles and inconsistencies with this that should be much improved now after working down here, end quote. And I do definitely agree with that, that it has been a, a big issue for Trey, Specifically, with you know his performances against pass rushers, anytime somebody gives him a counter, he has no answer for it. Um, he kind of lunges a little bit too much, and then in the run game, we've we've seen some issues there as well. So finally, um, to get his final thought there, and specifically like physically, like what what kind of benefits, what kind of advantages will being in better shape uh, provide, Trey Pipkins? And, and he said, "quote." He's definitely gotten stronger down here, and the improved technique should allow him to anchor down better and execute the more physical blocks in the run game at a higher level. Uh, I assume that means like, you know, combo blocks, pulling, stuff like that. Uh, Trey has always been a good athlete, but has had a problem with false stepping that Duke has really been working hard with him. If he takes it to the field, he should be more explosive out of his stance. So again, those are kind of issues that I have seen from Trey Pipkin's um, you know, really not being able to use his athletic traits at the highest level, not necessarily being able to anchor down against pass rushers. And this source seems to think that all of those issues, I don't want to say solved, right? Cause we haven't seen it, but he is improving in those regards. Um, and my guy thinks that he, sh- that Trey Pipkins will absolutely be starting week one. If he's able to kind of take advantage, take everything he learned from Duke. And put it onto the field. So, uh, this is our first stock up, stock down. What are you guys buying? What are you guys selling from this conversation, Daniel Popper's conversation? Duke calling him a most improved player. Anything you want to go there is uh, obviously fair game.
2: I, I have to at least buy it. I have to buy that there is improvement and that he has improved these things. You know, Duke Manyweather. You know, talks about like on Brendan Thorn's podcast. It's not necessarily fixing weaknesses as much as it is amplifying strength. So it's great to hear that, you know, some things that he's good at, he's just going to get really good at and get much better at that. And then just, just watching offensive line masterminds, the little background, the little info they have in the videos, just all the testing they have, the data, the film, the rehab, the physical therapist, everything. It is such a great place for linemen to go. I would imagine it's heaven for them. And, you know, Steven, you've coached, I've coached. Sometimes it just takes a coach to change yeah. an athlete, what they can do, their perspective, you know, and it could be so simple. Someone just explains it. It could just be a different perspective, someone explaining it differently and for him to go down there and improve like he has be again, like Duke said, like Duke didn't need to say that Trey Pipkins was one of the most improved players, you know, that he had, but he mentioned him, you know, if he wants to go out there and, and advertise, he'd say maybe, you know, a more, Popular the name it's freaking he picked Trey Pipkins you yeah. know, and Rashawn Slater of course but he picked Trey Pipkins and, and I absolutely have to believe him and it just goes back to you know March 15th we even heard that they were high on Trey Pipkins and that's from a defensive player on the team so you have you know I- I'm sure the chat can figure out who your person is um it wouldn't be hard to figure out but I'm not it's it's, it's rough to say this it's feeling like the Kaiser White situation where you hear enough things from reporters say this this person says that another person says that things are just everything is pointing at Trey Pipkins at least being the starter but also just being better and I don't know if that's fantastic I I don't believe it for one second it's for Sean Slater level by any means but listen I'll take it if it's slightly below average that's an improvement if it's average that's a huge improvement and I'll take that the Chargers you know have believed in him it seems, you know, obviously Norton is currently the starter, and I believe he was taking snaps with the ones at minicamp. Yeah, But that seems like it's going to change. Like, Pipkins has the mindset. He's going to the right places. He's in the right spot. He's trending up. You know, stock up. Uh, and I do buy that he has at least improved, and I'm excited for it.
1: Yeah, before Alex jumps in really quickly, a um, couple questions in the chat. So if you don't follow Duke Manningweather, he trains about, 50 players or so throughout the offseason that he works with. Obviously, not all of them are offensive tackles specifically, but there are guards down there. There are centers down there. Um, and, and we've seen really how big the offensive line masterminds has gotten. I mean, the draft network was down there this time. There were hundreds of players at the NFL level, college level, some high school, I think I saw as well. So, you know, Duke saying that Trey Pipkins is the most improved player that he works with. Like, among others, right. I think he listed five players total, but, um, you know, that I think will hold some weight, but again, you know, like Duke will go to bat for his guys. And, and as always, like you, you take off season workout hype with a grain of salt, right. Until you see it in person. Sure. Um, there was some very positive stories written about Trey in 2020, you know, during COVID about how he was leaning down and taking it seriously and, and then it didn't work out. So, I'm hopeful like this isn't necessarily like swinging me in any direction by any means, but I think my favorite thing here is that Trey went out of his way to go and train with Mm -hmm. Duke Mannyweather, arguably the best offensive private offensive line coach in the league and he's putting in the work, right? Like he knows that this is the make or break season and he's doing everything in his power to make sure that he is able to take advantage of that situation. So for me, like, that's a positive sign in of itself.
3: Yeah, I, I you know, we're going to kind of learn when the rubber meets the road, whether or not Trey Pipkins is is truly improved. But I think just in general, we've done several like season. this guy is going to break out candidates. Um, last sure. year, unfortunately, it was Jerry Tillery for many people. And then we didn't see that pan out in a significant way. And it, it's been Trey Pipkins before as well. But I think the difference that you've seen from Daniel Popper's piece that he wrote from The Athletic or even how Duke has talked about Trey is that they've talked about like specific things that he's honed in on uh, from his movement, uh, even to how he uses a gluteal muscle in the Daniel Popper article. Um, And when you get to like real refined technique, things like that, uh, I'm not that I'm some OL mastermind myself, but I think that grabs your attention more than, Oh, he's in the weight room or, Oh, he's doing this. Right. I think they're really trying to hone in on, some of the things that Trey has has struggled with to this point in his career so that he can be the prospect that he was kind of promised to be right in the third round all those years ago when uh Tom Pelesco took him so i i think it's worth it's worth noting all of these things as well because you know now he's working with Duke Manyweather and working on with all these national NFL offensive linemen i don't know what he was doing the first 3 years but it wasn't quite that um, so, I mean, being in this national program and being on that regiment is different than obviously coming out of Sioux Falls and not getting as much playing time those first few years when he was in the league compared to what the last two have been. Um, so for me, I buy stock up on Trey Pipkins and it's also a byproduct of what else they have on the roster. Right. Are we yes. going to run back another year of Storm Norton? Um, I'd rather see what I have in Trey Pipkins. We kind of know right. what Storm Norton is at this point um which is a serviceable you know tackle but not anything more than that so the fact that you could get potentially more upside with trey is where i think the value is and i do buy stock up from that standpoint
1: yeah that's that's been my biggest thing from the jump here is that you know if, if they like trey a lot that's fantastic i would l- really like to see him earn you know that chance to start with a legitimate competition and i don't really know how much i like buy into a Trey Pipkins versus Storm Norton competition, meaning that Trey has like really earned the chance to start. I think if he were beating out, you know, somebody like a Dennis Kelly or a Riley Reef or somebody like that, um I mean, Daryl Williams for, for, you know, sake, for, for sake of our argument, like I think there's a big difference between beating out somebody who's a, a viable right tackle and not somebody who, Was the second worst right tackle in the league last year, according to total pressures allowed and pass blocking efficiency rating. So, I I, that's been my biggest thing. Right, is I I just wish that they would have done a better job getting an insurance policy. Because what happens if Trey, you know, gets against Khalil Mack a couple times, gets worked, and then his confidence is completely gone? You know what I mean? So, at that point, you're just kind of screwed. So, I I just wish they would have done a better job providing a legitimate insurance policy and competition for Trey slash Storm at this point.
2: Yeah, 100%. After watching 14 games now, I was, by the way, loving watching the Kansas City loss two times in a row. That's been really (laughs) fun. But, I mean, watching the games, it was like, it's so obvious that the idea of like a wide receiver three deep threat being the missing piece, no, right tackle for sure. So your frustrations, I mean, yeah, I'm frustrated too that they didn't go out and get a real insurance ball. Even if you believe in Trey Pipkin's, like that's all in on Trey Pivkins is, is quite a statement.
1: Yeah, and like we've, you know, this off season night we've heard that they're still very high in Kenneth Murray, but they still go out and sign a Troy Reader kind of player for insurance. You know, they're very high in Chris Rump, but they still go out and sign a Kyle Van for insurance and, and competition. I wish they would have employed the same strategy for right tackle. And again it's fantastic that that Trey is taking these steps and doing everything possible like I said Thomas Martinez pointing out in the chat and he moved his family down to Dallas as well to make sure that he could just be all in on training with Duke and I think nice. that's great like we've seen other players who are on the hot seat not necessarily take their offseason training super seriously and Trey is doing that so for me that's that's the biggest positive here is that Trey is doing everything possible to secure that spot and good for him man like if he's able mm-hmm. to secure that and if he's able to be that you know average right tackle I think that's a huge win for the Chargers so wrapping up here on Trey here's what I'll say in terms of like expectations right so obviously he only had three total he had two starts last year and in those two starts he allowed three total pressures uh, which is only one and a half per game and a 25 17 game pace I think that is a wholly unrealistic expectation for Trey Pipkins if he is able to start Uh, In 2020, he started nine games. He allowed 27 total pressures, which is three per game and 51 17 game pace, which would be an improvement over Storm Norton's uh, 2021 performance. So if he could just kind of bridge that gap between what we're seeing in in a 1.5 per game or 1.5 per game average versus a three per game average, that would put him somewhere in like the Eric Fisher, Donovan Smith range in terms of total pressures allowed. And to me, that's a, that's a win. Like that, that's a huge win. If we can get, you know, 40 total pressures allowed from Trey Pipkins. Uh, I think that would be like the absolute ceiling where I would take as opposed to like expecting him to be like a huge breakout, like top 15 tackle or something like that.
3: I just wanted to say, uh, uh, shout out to Tyler for all actually going back through and watching all these games. I saw him and <laughs> he was rewatching the Texans game today, and I didn't. I just had a heart attack by proxy. So I mean, you know, shout out to <laughs> Tyler for doing that.
2: Uh, appreciate that. All of this for something that I think got like 800 views on my first video. So you know, I can't wait to <laughs> keep pushing through for that. But the algorithm's not friendly right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, this one, a compapa is just kind of same question, uh, same general idea. Where would Trey have to rank among the 32 right tackles for you to feel like he made a good enough stride? The Chargers don't have to draft or sign anyone. Are we, are we talking about into 2023? Because he's not back. Like I don't think he's back regardless of his performance, unless he can get away with like a million dollar contract. The Chargers are kind of screwed for money right now. Um, but in terms of having not drafted or signed a running, like a right tackle, what would he have to be to justify that? 24th. I mean 28th. 27th that's better than 32nd isn't it (laughs) I I, I almost
3: feel like it's the same conversation of when we talked about special teams last year where it's just like just don't be terrible (laughs) like if you give us top 25 performance then at that point you're probably worth the league minimum contract but if you're top 33 right tackle
1: we have a problem Mm -hmm. yeah I mean if you look around the league right tackle is Not a started position by any means. I'll I'll just kind of list the starting right tackles as projected by our lads. Uh, Spencer Brown for the bills, Austin Jackson for the dolphins, Trent Brown for the Patriots, Mackay Becton for the jets, Morgan Moses for the Ravens, Lyle Collins for the Bengals, Jack Conklin, who's really good for the Browns, uh, Chukwuma, Okorafor, Braden Smith for the Colts. Who's really good uh jawan taylor for the jaguars who i talked about as like a potential trade candidate uh dylan Raidens or nicholas Petit frere for the titans billy turner for the broncos andrew wiley for the chiefs alex leatherwood for the raiders uh our lads does have trey pipkins as a projected starter for what it's worth terrence Steele for the cowboys evan neal for the giants lane johnson for the eagles who's a freaking monster Sam Cosme for Washington, who's pretty good. Uh, Larry Borum for the Bears. Bene Sewell for the Lions. Elton Jenkins for the Packers, who's amazing. Ryan O'Neill for the Vikings, who's really good. Kayla McGarry. Uh, Taylor Moten, who's really good. Ryan Ramchick, who's really good. Tristan Wurst, who obviously is like one of the best offensive tackles in the league. Uh, Kelvin Beecham, Rob Havenstein, Mike McGlinchey for the Niners, uh, and then Jake Curran for the Seahawks. So, it's not a great position overall. Like there's two elite guys and then three or four like really good players. So if he's serviceable, then he could pretty easily be like a top 20 right tackle, which would be a again a huge win for the Chargers.
2: Yeah, and in general, it should be a pretty tackle favored kind of scheme. I mean, they're not gonna do these these Lin, you know, 15 step dropbacks on, you know, third <laughs> yeah. and eighty-two. Like will had to deal with like a lot of RPOs. They're going to run the ball more. Herbert should be more mobile, more bootlegs or whatever. So like, it should be also a very good system for Pipkins as well. Yeah. Then again, Absolutely. they also had Storm so. Norton. He was one of the worst tackles in
1: the league. So maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. They also feel like if you've solved the right guard spot, then it would be easier. And I think, you know, Ode Abuji did really help out Storm Norton quite a bit in those three and a half games that, or I guess, was it four and a half? Three and a half. Four and a half. Four and a half. Okay. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll see how much that is uh, actually a thing. So, uh, Tyler, did you have a stock up, stock down that you wanted to mention here?
2: Um, I mean that was obviously the big one. I I do want to talk about it's it's such a minor thing, but I think it's, I mean he he has to be stock up to make the team. It's Dean Leonard, and that's like. <laughs> Three pass breakups on Easton Stick isn't the greatest achievement in the world. Uh, it's not going to win you the Medal of Honor by any means or Defensive Player of the Year. But, I mean, this guy needed to start performing very early and show that he was worth a roster spot. Like, as it is right now, even drafted, he's on the roster bubble. I think even Daniel Popper had him not making the team. But, you know, his his biggest thing, and Staley said as much, like there were traits that he had that they knew that they could develop and wanted to develop. And to me, on film, that was pretty clearly his ability to turn his head around and, you know, break up a pass. And so him to break up three passes in one day on Easton stick, that's big. Is this a big name? No. Could we be talking about corners? Uh, sure. Or like, uh, Samuel Jr. or Sama junior Michael Davis corners, Sure. But I think that's significant for Dean Leonard. I, I still don't know if he makes the team. But if you go out and you, you show out and even the play that he, you know, Palmer beat him for that touchdown, I believe, is a really good position. So I think that him starting off really hot so far is stock up for him. We'll see if he makes the team.
1: Yeah, I think you have to consider him stock up for now. We'll see what kind of happens there. I think just here, Taylor, obviously a little bit more secure in making the team because I feel like just his, his special teams ability. You're competing with Kemon Hall for that kind of uh, last slot spot, which I don't think is necessarily the same thing. But Dean Leonard, mm-hmm. if he's going to make the team, probably has to be out Tavon Campbell, who... I know mm-hmm. he has a lot of heat on Chargers Twitter and things like that. I'm not saying he's a great player by any means, but we've seen him play some good football. You know, at least serviceable sure. football for the Chargers over the last two years. So I think he he's a bit of a long shot. But if he's breaking up passes at this kind of level, then I, I think you you have to consider keeping him and developing your draft pick as opposed to the 31 year old former CFL player who has only been on your team for two years. Yep. All right. Alex, uh, did you have one you wanted to mention here?
3: Um, I don't really know if I have like a stock up, stock down Canada in a traditional sense, but I'll just say compared to what the wide receiver situation was in training camp last year, where, you know, obviously we had the whole Tyron Johnson fiasco, um, but it felt like what you were going to do for wide receivers four to six was pretty uncertain last year. So I'm going to say the fact that we know who our five receivers are pretty much heading into the season is stock up for both Jalen Guyton and Josh Palmer um, mm-hmm. compared to where they were last season. Obviously Jalen Guyton finished the season strong. Josh Palmer's received nothing but love from the coaches, from Justin Herbert himself in these press conferences. So I think you have both yeah. guys who had good production last year, both over 30 receptions. The fact that, you know, Potentially, probably you don't have the space in the offense for them to both be 50 catch kind of guys. Um, But the fact that we're even like talking about that possibility or them both being 40 reception type players, um, I think speaks to where Jalen Guyton got better last year and where Josh Palmer started to fit in in the offense towards the end of the year. Uh, The chemistry they both have with Justin Herbert. And so the fact that the Chargers are clearly not looking for a six receiver Uh, and, you know, having to scramble down the depth chart to, to find someone, I think is a real credit to what both of them did at wide receiver towards the end of last year with, uh, Guyton's bump and Palmer's development.
1: Yeah. Tyler, you've been obviously watching the receiver specifically, and you've been focusing on Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, but you, you've talked a little bit on Twitter about what you've seen from, uh, Josh Palmer on film. Do you think he, do you think this really is like a competition for wide receiver three or is this? You know, this is really Palmer's job to lose, if you will.
2: That's really tough because, like, Palmer's the guy you want to develop. And, like, obviously Mike Williams at this point is the better wide receiver, I think, or can produce. But Josh Palmer, like, I'm not entirely convinced he can't just replicate Mike Williams' stats tomorrow. He's so good. And Laurie Fitzpatrick did a great breakdown of him as is. And just watching him, I'm not watching Josh Palmer. Outside of Austin Eckler, who, you know, touches the ball 300 times or whatever, Josh Palmer just stands out over and over again. He's so good. And there's there's just an explosiveness and and, and a youthfulness to him that the other guys just really don't have. You know, Mike Williams at some point was just on one bad knee, and Keenan Allen's never been really quick, and he's 30. There's Josh Palmer just... You know you, you watch sometimes him and another receiver like williams run parallel routes and one guy's just doing it a little bit quicker a little bit better than the other one and that's josh palmer um do i think it's a real battle yeah i do because i think that well okay guyton is the one playing gunner for special teams it sounds like it sounds like that's his role which you could say is stock up because that means like yeah it got a great defined role at the same time if you're the guy playing special teams are you really the wide receiver three? You know, is it gonna be Josh sure. Palmer? Um, I do think Guyton probably should still be wide receiver three because he does something differently. And because I do think he has earned the spot and Palmer hasn't really like there's no real big difference between those two guys. But man, like I would love to see Palmer win wide receiver three because he's so freaking good. Like he I, I do think he is Mike Williams replacement in two years.
1: Yeah, you know, Arjun had a great point today about Contracts and um, he specifically was talking about five year contracts, but I, I think in general, the wide majority of NFL contracts don't really reach their full uh completion status, if you will, at, you know, whether it's a three or four or five year deal. Um, so it, it's a really interesting thing, right? Like, I haven't, I haven't watched as much as, as you have this offseason about the wide receiver position, but I think Josh Palmer 100% gets more. Targets and receptions than Jalen Guyton will, but I still think like you do that you still have to uh, give Jalen Guyton a role because of his speed and because he opens things up. and And I will say that you know Guy, Jalen Guyton to me gets too much hate on Chargers Twitter. I don't think he's necessarily mm-hmm. a great player, but we've seen him improve every single year that he's been on the team, and now he's potentially taking on a larger role on special teams. So um, I I think it would be stock up for both of those players this year because I just think mm-hmm. like the offense is going to be overall better and more efficient with you know the second year but uh i'm very curious to see how that one plays out in training camp
3: yeah and, and i think another big thing is the chargers just decided to not add a wide receiver right in the yeah, draft that, and that, that was a big thing we did during our mock drafts was either they take one like yeah. third round they take one maybe later uh, on day right. three never did right so i mean i think that tells you what they feel about them As far as Josh Palmer being the potential Mike Williams replacement, I mean, I think we've seen Tom Pelesco give out those three year contracts that are really two year contracts quite often. Um, You know, Mike Williams is 40 million guaranteed, I think, on the nose um, out of his 60 million. So it is basically a two year deal. And we saw that with Brian Malaga cut in the last year. And we've also speculated that about Michael Davis's contract, which is a three year deal. And then they can save 7 million if they cut him next year. So, Um, Tom Telesco has kind of been the king of those deals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So again, definitely something to keep an eye on there in training camp. So the last one that I wanted to talk about here is um, he did. There was a great story um, on Chargers.com. Great conversation with Nasir Adderley, and and we didn't really talk about this because I was uh, on a break at that point. But you know, Brandon Mm -hmm. Staley did mention him as one of the most productive guys in the secondary. And and on the team in general, and he said that uh, you know he's been in great, he came in great shape, he's uh, very sharp, physically, mentally, had a very high quality spring, and so um, you know I've I've been focusing in on the defensive front specifically, Joey Bosa, Cleo Mack recently, but Nasir Adderley is constantly popping on tape as specifically as a run defender, so I think there are, are definitely some things that Nasir Adderley. Needs to correct when it comes to coverage, when it comes to making plays on the ball. That is something that he also talked about in this conversation that he had, he played all of last season essentially with a broken finger, which he felt like really limited his ability to take the ball away. Uh, which, you know, if you've ever played football, you know how hard it is to catch a football with a broken finger on one of your hands. So it is something to take into consideration. But I, I think we saw a mini breakout from this year, earlier last year. Uh, again, would have loved to see more interceptions and things like that, more pass breakups. But the way that he was playing as a run defender last year was so much fun to watch. And he is constantly, you know, just showing off his range, showing off his athleticism and making plays. Like there was a couple plays that he had against Nick Chubb where he came from the top of the two high shell and just laid him out in, in right in the hole. And he did it against Clyde Edwards-Alaire as well. He's making great plays in space. And and so I went and looked today at PFF and Nas actually had more run stops and a higher run stop percentage than Derwin James did last year, which I think would surprise a lot of people uh, just based off of what they think of those two players. And Derwin James obviously is in the box a lot more than than Nasir Adderley is. So definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm, I'm definitely not saying that Adderley is a better run defender than Derwin James, but I think we saw him take legitimate steps forward in that regard. So if he can, you know, fix some of the missed tackle rates. So you know, that's another thing that I looked at. His, his missed tackle rate against the run was fine. It was, it was only 13%. It was a better number than guys like Malcolm Jenkins, John Johnson, the third, Jesse Bates, Quandre Diggs, Tyron Matthew, Antoine Winfield, Mike Hyde, Darnell Savage, were players all higher on the list than him in missed tackle rate. The problem is that he had a, uh, let me make sure I get this number right. Uh his missed tackle rate against the pass was 20%. And he that mm-hmm. was the fifth highest rate. So against the run, the missed tackles are not necessarily as big of an issue. It's against the pass where he's kind of making those mistakes. And that maybe some of that is scheme, maybe some of that is the finger. I don't really know. But I think if we can get Nasir Adderly to take a another minor leap forward, we could be talking about you know a top. 15 to 20 safety in the league. And I think that's a huge win again for the Chargers, just getting more solid players on defense.
2: Yeah, I would love to see it. I mean, we talk about Jen Guyton taking another step forward, and he has, but he started from a place of being kind of irrelevant (laughs) and an awful catcher to being a nice, solid wide receiver. And this year, Adderley started as a very good prospect, and he's slowly worked himself and just improving every year. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I really do think it is stock up for him. Maybe even if camp hasn't been stock up for him, I think heading into the season, he's got so much momentum. He is in that second year. And like you said, he's, he's attacking downhill. You know, as a guy who's kind of struggled with injuries for the for the Chargers. And if he's just feeling that confident now and knows his place and his responsibilities, and heck, you know, the, the, everybody in front of him is better, too. I yeah. think he's going to have a great year. I think he's going to have a great year. And then we're not going to resign him.
3: Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's probably the situation with Naz. Uh, I'll be curious to see what, again, they think of JT Woods this year, right? Obviously spent sure. their second highest draft pick on a safety. So, you know, that is kind of a, a Brandon Staley feature of the defense and obviously just how much they value JT Woods. But I'll be curious to see as the season goes on, what year Adder this level of play is and what's the trend in terms of JT Woods snaps throughout the season, so I think that is something to monitor if we're talking about a stock-up, stock-down, breakout type year,
1: Yeah, you know, again, watching that defense and watching the players along the defensive line just really hanging out their linebackers and safeties to dry, there was so much stress on Derwin James, Nasir Adley, and Kaiser White, Drew Tranquil on a week-to-week basis. It was was really hard to watch the, the first few games, and then uh, I haven't gone to it yet, but eventually they kind of did figure out a little bit throughout the middle of the season. Um, but those first five games that I've watched were ugly. The Browns game in particular, was it was a total buzzsaw situation. Like, Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, J.C. Tredder just destroyed that defensive front, and they didn't have Jedrick Wills, and it was just like Nick Chubb was not getting touched for like five mm-hmm. yards a pop. And then he's also Nick Chubb in space, so... Uh, it was rough, and you know, again, Nas, Derwin, and the safeties in general were just in such a tough position. But you know, I feel like they, you know, I feel like Nas really did take a step forward as a run defender, and now if we can get him to take a step forward as as a coverage defender, as a free safety, deep ball, a deep specialist, then I think we have a really good player on our hands.
2: Yep, absolutely.
3: Uh, any stock down guys for you guys? Um, I'll bring up an interesting one. Donald Parham stuck down. Um, so you know, we sort of went into last year talking about him potentially being like a quasi tight end one, tight end two with Jared Cook, and it never really happened, right? Obviously, I think production for the whole season, he ended up having about 190 yards. Um, you know, had some important touchdown catches as well. Uh, unfortunately, gets the you know terrible concussion at the uh, in the Kansas City game. But just throughout the season, it was very clear that he was a pretty distant tight end too, right? It never really felt like he sure. was near what Jared Cook's usage was. And unfortunately, Jared Cook's usage was a little bit too high um, at times. But the Chargers this offseason, we've heard the buzz about you know Stone Smart, potentially in their minicamp, Hunter Campmoyer, as like guys that are a little bit behind Donald Parham uh, on the depth chart, obviously distant from him as well. But we've heard positive things about them. Parham you know, spent a decent portion of this offseason unable to train, unable to, like, you know, take part in football drills. So, you know, that is a little way that he is a little bit behind the eight ball. And then, you know, you talk about what the Chargers did in free agency. Um, obviously, in 2020, spending a top 100 pick on Trey McKitty then go to free agency this year. You know, we were sort of talking about some of the ch- uh, tight ends they could sign, and they signed Gerald Everett to a two-year deal. Um, and I think it's notable that it is a real, you know, two-year deal um, in terms of yeah. how that contract is constructed, they want him for uh, at least until 2024, and so that to me, for Donald Parham who is a restricted free agent next year, um, they don't have his IRFA rights anymore. So he does he is not going to cost the league minimum, you know, to get back. Obviously, that kind of depends yeah. on the season, but they don't have his IRFA rights, so they won't have him at the automatic league minimum. Um, that kind of tells you a little bit, what do they think? Cause we've always kind of talked about Parma's like, okay, maybe after Cook he'll elevate to tight end one, maybe after this year he'll start to really take that step forward. And it really feels like we've seen step neutral to this point. And based on the Chargers actions to this point and signing Gerald Everett to a longer term deal, um, than I sort of expected at the time, I think that it is, it is kind of stocked down for, um, Donald Parm in terms of being a tight end too, and also probably not being in these in this team's long term plans, as we felt like at one point he might have been.
2: Yeah, I agree. There, uh, guy who should be involved more. I, I I don't think I could put him in the stock down category, but he's certainly a stock flat. Like there's and there's nothing. There's sure. no ceiling. It feels like unless somebody gets hurt, he's just like he'll play. He'll get his targets. He'll get some touchdowns, and they'll probably just move on. Unfortunately. That's just kind of the way it, it seems to be going with Parm. They just they've never figured out how to get him truly right. in, involved in a high volume. But, right. I mean, maybe that changes. I guess, but yeah. I just I just don't really see it when you sign someone like. Everett. Yeah,
3: I, I don't think it's a stock down relative to um you know right being now. tight end two. Like, of course, he's still going to be that. Yeah. But compared to you know being tight end one and what we thought he could have been or what was supposed to be certainly at the end of twenty twenty and what the expectations were going into last year and what they kind of are going into this year. Definitely think it's been a a downward adjustment you could say.
1: No, I definitely see what Alex is saying and I I do agree like long-term, you know, he is a stock down. I mean, Trey McKitty presumably takes a step forward this year as a pass catcher. I I really was a big fan of what he did as a run blocker down the stretch. So, you know, next, next year you're probably looking at Everett McKitty being one and two. And, you know, I, I just, obviously depends how much Parham produces, right? But I can't imagine them being able to give him a bigger contract when you're talking about all of the other needs that they'll have and very limited cap space. So, um, like, I I think, you know, Everett and McKitty, I feel good about that group. Maybe they draft somebody else next year in the third, fourth round. Um, I did see a 2023 mock draft where they took the Notre Dame tight end in the first round. That would be amazing. That would be so much fun. Um, But... I'm hoping for the best. I hope McKitty or I hope Parham, you know, has a great season, but it's, it's just tough for me to look at his long-term future and think, yeah, this is a guy who's absolutely going to be on the team two years from now, three years from now. Um, minor stock down, I guess I've kind of talked about this. Uh, Christian Cummington Want no part of having him on the team this year. I want Braden Foco so much more on this team. I, I, think there's obviously if everybody stays healthy i think the Chargers interior defensive line is going to be much improved right um specifically against the run with austin johnson sebastian joseph day i think morgan fox is a fine run defender um we'll see about tito and what he's able to do but if they if sebastian joseph day or Austin johnson get hurt and they have to start christian covington The run defense is not going to be improved. It might be worse, depending on really what they do from an interior defensive line standpoint. So I I just would feel much better about being able to have Sebastian Joseph Day and Braden Fajoko if Austin Johnson misses games or Austin Johnson and Braden Fajoko if Sebastian Joseph misses games. Christian Covington, not good. Don't want him on the team. I'm sorry. He seems like a great dude, but he's... (laughs) After watching last season, major, major stock down so far for him.
2: That's a shame. I I don't recall the film as much. I And I certainly won't watch interior film, so I'll take your word for it. But <laughs> it's always funny the way that one of them is a former first-round pick and one of them is the true starter. But like Covington's run-stop rate is like five spots from Tillery's. Like, he, he just is slightly yeah. – it's almost like we forget about Covington because Tillery is so bad. But Covington's like right
1: there. Like they're right yeah. next to each other. No, like and, uh, it's, I'm sure it sure looks like that on film. Yeah, it's very similar. Where every once in a while, Jerry Tillery will pop, and you're like, "Oh, there's that first round pick," and then the mm-hmm. rest of the game is bad. Covington's the same way. He just doesn't have the first round tag. It's like, "Oh, that was a really good grab, Christian Covington," and then like three plays later, you're like, "Oh, you're eight yards in Drew Tranquil's lap." Okay, what is happening here? So, mm-hmm. um, it it's just tough for me to like think about some potential injury happening and looking at Christian Covington and being like, yeah, this guy, he's a capable backup. He should absolutely be able to hold down the fort when he did not do that last year. And again, you know, there was several other injuries, you know, you're dealing with Linvot Joseph, potential decline and stuff like that. But I, I just don't feel comfortable in a potential world where if Sebastian Joseph day pulls a hammy and misses four games, that Christian Covington has to start.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I watched the, we all watched the Eagles game, but I've, I've had a couple uh, Eagles fans yes. friends who watched film of the Eagles games and also texted me, who's 99 on your team? Who's 95 <laughs> on your team? Because that is not a yeah. banner game for either no. Covington or Tillery. Um, granted, you know, Eagles offensive line and all that. And then, you know, they're one of the best units in the league, but uh, that one was certainly a struggle for them. And the, you know, Christian Covington shows his flashes, uh, times, but you just don't see it quite as often, and it really is a problem. I think when you have the group the Chargers did last year, hopefully he's a little bit better with S- you know getting to play with SG Day, yeah, you know getting to play with uh, Austin Johnson. I just don't you know see the value in it at this point. Then again, he's on a minimum contract, so you know you're sure. not getting whole. uh You're not asking for a whole lot out of him, I guess.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's my last one. I uh, had to get that one off my chest. It's just been lousy to watch the first few games of a run defense that featured Eric Banks, Christian Covington, and Jerry Tillery as like your three key players at certain points. So
3: I'll I'll talk about a stock down in the sense of, I'll ask it as a question. We know Isaiah Spillers, basically RB two. If you had to guess who's more stock down, Would you say that it's Larry Roundtree, or would you say it's Joshua Kelly? I
1: think Mm. it's Kelly.
2: I mean, if I'm basing it off of like skill set, like okay, what is I who is Isaiah Spiller more like? Which sounds shitty, Um, but like I think Kelly is a bit more of a pass catcher, I suppose. Yeah, Roundtree certainly isn't. Whereas Roundtree is more like the. I think what they want is a as a contact, you know, grind out the yards kind of guy. So I suppose Kelly, based on that, is stocked down. But Roundtree is still the guy who didn't play since the Steelers game or on offense, that is. So I, I think it's kind of like Kelly is the RB3, but he's kind of stocked down because Spiller has a skill set that's more like his.
1: I like. If Joshua Kelly could hold on to the ball, I'd be fine with him as our sure. return. Like, I think he just gives you a little bit of a different skill set among those three. And he's that's a good, like physically, it's mm-hmm. a good balance between those three. But this regime drafted Larry Roundtree, yeah. they made the decision to put him as a kick returner. So, I mean, obviously, they like some aspects of his game. And I, I will say that he's a much better pass protector than Joshua Kelly, which is maybe another feather in his cap, but again, you know, Tyler pointed out that Joshua Kelly was having all these issues and not necessarily um, making the right decisions on special teams, and they still chose round, or they still chose to play him over uh, Larry Roundtree for the back half of the season, so it's it's a very strange dynamic that, like, connecting the dots would lead you towards Roundtree being that guy, but then Kelly was the one who was playing down the stretch, so um, just somebody be not terrible, please.
2: Once again, petitioning for like a top ten per play back in Justin
1: Jackson, but yes.
2: I guess he's unrosterable according to half of Twitter.
1: So you're gonna get <laughs> what you get. Yeah. Um, Mark Matlock pointing in a, a veteran running back addition. Maybe if somebody really interesting gets cut, I could in cut in training camp. I could see them maybe making, you know, a waiver claim there. There are some pretty crowded backfields um you know around the league that I would be keeping an eye on there but uh, I think then you're getting into like well Larry roundtree joshua kelly know our scheme they know our culture they've been in the room they've been in the building whereas well, you're bringing in an outside player who maybe doesn't necessarily know those things as well yeah I mean if
2: they know how to run the football <laughs> that would be
1: great um, they know how to catch the football <laughs>
2: Yeah, either of those things would be awesome. Um. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there are veteran running backs out there.
1: Like, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Staley said they didn't really like the running back yeah. free agent market. Mm-hmm. That could have been more of like, uh, we didn't want to invest, you know, like high end money in like a true robbery too, which is why they drafted Spiller. But I guess if they get through like the first couple of weeks of training camp preseason and Kelly Rancher still kind of having the same problems, then maybe I I think you could see them bringing in. I don't even know who's available off the top of my head, but um, I I think you'd have to see them. Neither of them like take a step forward at all for them to bring in somebody else.
2: Yep. We'll see what Ficken decides.
1: That is also a possibility, which I I think kind of uh, could give Kevin Marks an edge, really fantastic blocker from what I saw on film. So, We'll see. Um, all right, Tyler, Alex, any final thoughts before we uh, head out for the evening here? Nah, man, just happy to be uh,
2: inching closer to the Chargers actually playing football. Yeah.
3: Um, shout out to Gilbert Manzano. Uh, obviously, has written his last piece with the Chargers going going mm-hmm. across the locker room to the to the Rams. So he's not going too far, yeah. but you know he's been on this show a couple times. So just so wanted to thank him for that, and, and uh, it's time with the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's been uh, very gracious with his time with us and, uh, you know, wish him nothing but the best covering the other team. So uh, the uh, Chargers beat going through some changes. Hopefully they get some new blood in there and uh, some some fresh ideas to uh, bounce out with with Daniel Popper, who is kind of carrying that load right now. So uh, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Appreciate all of the super chats. Appreciate all of the commentary in the chat today. As always, if you are listening to this, please leave a rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice. We do really appreciate all that positive feedback. We'll see you uh, next time for our next episode, and uh, we'll talk to you then.